Good. Is it still morning? Yes. Good morning, church. Good morning. If we could just bow our heads down in prayer as we pray. In Jesus' name, Father Lord, we thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you because you are mighty, you are God. We give you all the glory, we give you all the honor, Lord. We pray that everything that we, we hear here today is by virtue of the Holy Spirit speaking through to your people. And may, it, may, may everything land on ears, ears that want to understand and ears that want to really take in exactly what it is that your word is spreading and sharing with them. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, we pray and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. How's everybody doing today? We're all okay? Fantastic. Okay, so as Todd mentioned, today's uh, theme is the parables of Jesus. The parables of Jesus. And it's, it's quite interesting because the last couple of weeks or so, uh, Pastor Eric has been preaching about some of the parables of Jesus and some of the different messages that we can take from them. You know, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, etc., etc. So we're, we're going to talk a, little, a lot more about that this month. And we're going to really dive into what's, what some of them mean and what that does for us. Um, I just want to thank Pastor Eric and thank the other leaders for giving us young people this time this month to, you know, step out of our comfort zones and do things that we don't necessarily get the chance to do. It's really a great opportunity for growth. And even in preparing nuggets and um, talking with everybody, there's an extra sense of study that you, you get that you don't always necessarily do in a day-to-day time so it's a really great opportunity and not every church in the world or country would allow something like this so it's not something that we should take for granted so uh every, all, every, everyone that's at home please next week week after if you're 30 and below not that anyone over 30 isn't young but make sure you're in in the building oh sorry andy no offense but just make sure that you're in the building and come and and worship and fellowship with us all so, like I said, the theme for this month is the parables of Jesus. And depending on your definition of the word parable, there are about 30, if not over 50, different parables that Jesus speaks in the Bible. Now, what is a parable? All in all, a parable is a short story or a short narrative that uh, compares two situations side by side and typically has a spiritual or a moral meaning behind that story. Um, and one thing I love to do when I think about different words and a word like parable is not really a word we use in our everyday language or everyday lives. So I like to break the th these things down and look at what the etymology of the word actually is. What does this word mean and where did it come from? And parable or originates from the Greek word parabole. 
and for anyone that has uh that did maths or studied maths to a high level you would have heard of a word like parabola or parabole uh can we see what that looks like on the screen if possible so anyone that did maths or like a level or some kind of it you you've seen what this looks like so here we have a parabola and it's a curve where you have two lines that are, are side by side okay now this word parabola it originated in, in greece in ancient greece around maybe 300 350 bc before christ so a lot of the time in those days religion science maths they weren't like separate like um what's the word i'm looking for they weren't separate kind of streams of things that we we have now um like someone that was a dentist was also a doctor was also studying biology was also a mathematician like they were all rolled into one you just had kind of really clever people or people who thought they were clever and then you had other people so a lot of the time when we have things in religion a lot of the time some of them they can all have the same kind of origin point before they they go away so uh, we we can go back to the the theme slide so in essence this word para like parallel side by side um it a para a parable parabole is like two different two similarities two things that are different but also the same at the same time and even words like hyperbole where people are um exaggerating something like they come from the same kind of family of of origins uh so why, why am I talking about all of this and why does it matter? Well, I find it interesting that this stuff has its origins from professors and mass teachers and that kind of thing, because Jesus was also a teacher. So with Jesus being a teacher, he had a method and a reason as to why he responded to questions in certain ways. Now, as you all know, I used to be a teacher. I was teaching for, for a while. And one thing I learned during my time of teaching is that a good teacher knows how to take your misconceptions and turn them into teachable moments okay now what do i mean by a misconception i'm going to give an example so i used to teach science and in year seven you'd have to teach like physics for example and the first kind of types of lessons we'll do is teach the year sevens and teach them about forces and how they interact with the world and it'll be interesting to know what science they knew before what they learned in primary school. So if I take this bottle, what I'd normally do, and this was always like my first lesson on forces, I'd put this bottle on top of my table like this. And I'd ask the class, who can tell me what forces are acting on the bottle? Okay, I'd tell the class. And someone in the class will raise their hand and definitely they'll say, sir gravity it's gravity gravity is acting on the bottle okay and i'll say yes that's correct does anyone can anyone think of any other forces that are acting on the bottle and then everyone's really confused and they're like but gravity is the only force what else is there well actually newton says you can't have just one force in one direction you have to have an equal and opposite force so if something is on the floor like this and gravity is acting on it the floor is also pushing up against the bottle, okay? And that's why it can stay still. Now, that's a really crazy concept to understand 
for an 11 year old child because i can see some of you are even thinking what on earth is fifi talking about like that's a very difficult concept to understand now if me as their teacher when if we rewind and i ask the question again what forces are acting on the bottle a kid says sir i know it's gravity and i say no you're wrong because there's more than one it's not just gravity it's gravity and a normal contact force in three hours time do you think that child's gonna remember the answer to that question that i told them it was gravity and a normal contact force no because i just told them the answer i didn't they didn't do any thinking all they thought is oh well i've been doing it wrong so i've condemned them and they also haven't thought for themselves why the correct answer is the, uh, am i making sense okay so in essence what i'm saying there no learning has taken place okay so if no learning has taken place then in fact you're not a good teacher in fact you're a bad teacher okay because a bad teacher their children don't learn and they blame their children for not studying to learn when in fact they didn't do the work in the first place to teach them because not understanding that the floor pushes up against the bottle that was a misconception. A misconception is not an error, but it's rather a thought or a thought about a process that you have that you believe to be correct based on your previous experiences. Okay? Now I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Okay. So based on your previous experiences, you have a thought and you believe that it exists that way. The same way now, Aaliyah is really young. If I was to play peekaboo with baby Aaliyah or I tell her I've got her nose she genuinely thinks I have her nose because at that age she doesn't have the understanding that just because something is out of sight it doesn't mean that it ceases to exist that is her misconception about space time and life and the more she grows older and has the opportunity to learn these lessons for herself, the more she'll realize that actually, just because I can't see something, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, okay? Now, parables are an amazing way of drawing on our misconceptions. And I was even, I was talking to some of my friends last night and I was talking about how, oh, I'm giving the word at church tomorrow, they're asking, what are you talking about? What are you going to be talking about? And I was saying, and, this slipped out of my mouth um, and I believe God knows my heart so it's not that I'm blaspheming but as I was studying I was thinking Jesus must have been so annoying like he must have been so annoying because he, the disciples would ask a question and he just doesn't answer the question have you ever noticed, like when you're reading them, and it goes on and on and on. But we'll pause that there because we're going to get into that with the, the scripture. But, you know, anytime, like I said, anytime the disciples would ask a question, Jesus wouldn't answer the question, but he'd provide them with a teachable moment, a moment that they can learn. And 
the word and the Bible is full of those teachable moments that transcends the time that they were in, but it's even relevant till today. So when people say the word of God is living and the word of God is active, it's because the word of God still has teachable moments that we in our adult phase of life, even today in 2023, can learn and apply to our lives so that we can live in the everlasting fullness of joy that God wanted us to live in and be ambassadors on this earth for. Okay, So it's very important, therefore, to have a teachable spirit. Okay, And that means being humble, humbling yourself and having humility to understand that you, you don't and won't ever know everything there is to know. And you can always still learn. Even scriptures that you've studied before and learned before, there's always a new revelation that can be dropped into your spirit as long as you are allowing the Holy Spirit to uh, be your lens as you're reading through this book and that's why you have to read the bible with a holy with a with a jesus lens now a lot of the time people have said that to me and i've never really used to understand what it meant because how do you really do that but essentially what you're doing is you're allowing the holy spirit to minister to you as you're reading things and it might not happen in that moment in time but it might be later on uh, in the week or in the months that you then have that feeling of oh I remember when I read this and this is what it meant and this is what it means for my season right now and this is what it means for me and this is how it's so relevant in my life okay so what I'm saying is we, we learn from lessons. We don't learn from just being told something is wrong and this is that. It's how our, our brains are wired as humans. We learn from lessons. Okay, Even those of you that have raised us as children, you also realize that children not only learn from lessons, but there's different types of rewards. There's delayed gratification that children have to learn and don't necessarily understand straight away. You know, if you do something right now, it doesn't mean that I need to reward you now. It could be that in a few months' time, you're going to get your reward. But that reward is still related to the action that you did. And sometimes in life, we, we know that God will bless us because we believe in God. But when that is not coming, we get impatient and we, we grow agitated. But it's the same way that we treat our own children or we treat our friends. And, you know, a lot of the time, what is that? It's a teachable moment where God is teaching us to be patient. God is teaching us to wait on him. God is teaching us to trust in him. God is teaching us to believe in him and to believe that if he has said he will do something, he will do it. Okay. Hallelujah. Amen. If God has said something, he will do it. That's what he's teaching us to, to do and that's what he's teaching us to believe. So in essence, the Holy Spirit is our guide and the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Okay. I want us to turn to Matthew. We're going to be in, in the book of Matthew a lot today. I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. So I'm reading from the New King James Version and I'm going to read, um, I'm not going to read the whole verse, but we'll, we'll just start. 
So, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. What on earth does that mean? What is Jesus talking about? The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. You're probably thinking, what what is that? And where does this come up to? In fact, I'm going to keep reading. So now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? Now, when you read that in isolation, it makes absolutely no sense. And then it makes even less sense when you think and go back up into the scriptures in Matthew chapter 19. And if we go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 25, all of this comes from the disciples, ask, the disciples asking who then can be saved. Like that's such a random question and a random answer. And on first glance, at first instance, it doesn't make sense. But why does Jesus answer like this? Jesus answers like this because he wants, us, he wants the disciples to think and to really reflect and to really take their time to think, why is he comparing these two situations that don't, see compa- don't seem comparable? When we looked at our parabola, we had two curves that were on completely opposite sides. And for those, again, that did maths, you could have one of those curves being, um, and I'm sure Gabby, if she's watching from home, will correct me. But you can have one of them being on minus two and the other being on two. Minus two and two are completely different. They're so far apart, yet they're similar in this, at the same time. So what is it that Jesus wanted the disciples to grab from his message? Okay, we'll, we'll go up a little bit more as well. So... Jesus, I'll read from Matthew 19, verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished. And they said, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them now i found this interesting it didn't just say jesus said to them it said jesus looked at them and in my bible them is in italics so if i'm trying to picture myself in the situation i'm imagining that they've asked this question and jesus is righteous jesus is god so he's not going to be rude but i bet if he had some kind of mean side to him he's probably thinking what kind of stupid question is that did you not listen to what i said How did what I said make you equate with that question? Because not once here did Jesus say that a rich man can't enter heaven. He just said it's hard. So what made him then ask the question, who then can enter heaven? Surely that question doesn't make sense. Okay, so Jesus was giving them time to to think. He's kind of thinking like, come on, like, what what are you even saying? Why are you asking me this? 
And then he proceeds then, instead of just telling them, he then proceeds to give more parables, more parables, making them think even more, so that when eventually they do understand, and that's another issue, it's almost as if they were listening to respond and not listening to understand what God and what Jesus was telling them. And he said, right at the end, verse 30, but uh, in fact, I'll read from 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my namesake shall receive hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. I think this is probably one of the first occasions where he's a bit closer to actually answering the question than giving them um, a, a kind of convoluted parable and and that many who are first will be last and last first he then goes to the parable and it's quite a long scripture where we started chapter 20 the parable of the workers in the vineyard so I'm not going to read it all but essentially what happens is some people join some people start working at 12 o'clock some people join at three o'clock some people join at six some people join at nine some people join at 11 and then at 12 the owner of the vineyard comes back and says right guys thank you for all your work today here's your pay everyone originally agreed for a denarius right and they take their pay and they're like wait but this guy only worked for an hour so why is he getting the same pay as me did you not agree to the denarius? So why are you complaining? Like, why does it concern This relates very, very well to a thought I used to have a lot of the time in Sunday school when we were younger is that, you know, someone's really bad their whole life and on their deathbed. And I think Pastor Eric's laughing because all the children probably used to ask him this so much and they give their life to Christ on their deathbed. Does it mean they still get to go to the same heaven as us? That's not fair. I was serving God all my life from when I was younger. But why does it matter? Why are we so focused on what others are doing instead of focusing on our own individual race because of how God is with us? God has agreed to give us eternal life if we give our, our lives to him, right? So it doesn't concern us if he gives someone else eternal life and they only give their life to him right at the end. Now, Jesus could have just said that straight up. But no, he decided to make it a teachable moment. And that parable is probably something with those disciples that they will stay with. It will stay with them for the rest of their lives. That they will see that and think, wow. This is what it really means. Like, this is what it's similar to. This is what I've been compared to of this story. And, and that's a message in itself. And that's what the parables are. They're messages. They're lessons. And the lesson I take from that is worry about yourself. Worry about your own lane. Don't worry about what others are doing. Don't covet what others have. Okay? Because the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Don't covet what other people have. But worry about yourself. At one point in scripture, the disciples even asked Jesus point blank. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? They asked him. I think they'd, have a, they'd had enough at this point. 
And they'd asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them and said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And this is why I said Jesus must have been annoying because he answered, why do you speak in parables in a parable that now made them think even more? But what is it that he answered and what is it that he's saying? Seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. If I was Jesus saying, if I was to just tell them what it is, they're not really going to take it in or understand what I'm saying because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And there's other places in the Bible where it said, um, where it talks about the Holy Spirit being our intercessor and us understanding by the Spirit. Okay. So, Jesus answered. And even though he answered here, I believe his real answer, okay, when he says, verse 12 for whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance but whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him i believe that jesus's answer here comes in verse 18 so if we can all turn to chapter 13 verse 18 therefore hear the parable of the sower this time jesus is even titled the parable for them to make it really obvious what the answer is Okay, this is like when a, a child is really, really struggling in class and the teacher says, okay, do you know, what? I'll do the first part of the answer for you. And then now you've got to try and work out the rest. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who receives the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful but he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit produces some a hundredfold some 60 some 30 it's our mindset what is our mindset like when we want to receive from god are we listening to and are we listening to respond or are we listening to really understand? What is our mindset? We call on God and we cry on God and then we don't even give him time to respond to us. Or even if he does respond to us, our heart posture is not in a place that will allow us to really, really take in what the Holy Spirit is saying to us and what the Holy Spirit is ministering to us. A lot of the time it starts with us. It's us. We are the issue. And it's not easy to admit that as a human being, that you are the issue in a particular problem. Whether it's a problem with your friends, your family, whether you're praying and you feel like you're not hearing from God, it's us. We are the issue. 
give yourself time and a chance to reflect, to think, am I, have I prepared the ground well? Okay, if you're going to do gardening in your garden, you can't just throw the seeds out there. You have to do the pre-work to make sure that the soil is ready to receive those seeds so that there can actually be fruitful growth out of it. Okay, we have to cultivate that. It, it's not something you can rush. It's something that you have to really take care on. And that starts with us. It starts with how we perceive things, our mindset. What is our mental health like? Have we really taken time to really make sure that the seed, the ground is, is ready for seed? Or are we constantly thinking negative thoughts? Are we constantly talking down about ourselves and our situation? Are we constantly throwing all of these kind of negative things into the atmosphere and then wondering why we don't see growth or we don't see fruit? The issue is us. It's you. How can you fix that? It's something that you can ask God to help you with, but it's also something that you can, it's a change that you can physically, physically make. Jesus was a teacher and he spoke in all of these parables so that we may learn, okay? So that we may have teachable moments. Now, we're just going to change tack a little bit here. There's another parable that I really want to speak on, especially in this last kind of five, five, ten minutes or so that I believe I have. Ten minutes? I'm not sure. And this parable is probably my favorite parable. And it's my favorite because every time I read it, I get like a slightly different meaning or revelation from it of what it could mean. And it's the parable of the talents. Okay, I'm sure we're all familiar with the parable of the talents. Now, the parable of the talents. One talent in those days, a talent was a unit of money because it was a unit of measurement to weigh uh, specific types of metal, be it like gold or silver. Um, and I did some research and there's differing opinions and there's different scholars that have different views. But a talent in today's money, accounting for inflation, thanks to Kwesi Kwarteng, in today's market, a talent could be worth, some scholars say, about £1,000. Some scholars say about £30,000. Okay, that's what one talent is. Let's assume it's on the higher end. So let's say it's £30,000. Okay. If we say it's £30,000, and I, I don't want to read the whole, um, we said Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I know we are familiar with that. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Okay, it's quite long. But in essence, we'll start. So, for the kingdom of heaven, again, another simile, another metaphor, another parable comparing. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. And another thing I want you to keep in mind is, there are so many things that Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, All of these different things must be linked. Jesus was a teacher. And the same way a teacher would teach a syllabus or a curriculum over the whole year, different kind of topics, they all come together and they all connect. They're all interconnected. 
back to the scripture. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents. Okay, So to one he gave 150,000 pounds is essentially what that scripture is saying. If we contextualize it in modern day. To another two, he gave 60 oh wow my maths was so bad three to yeah 150,000 pounds to another he gave two 60,000 pounds he gave to that other um servant and to another he gave one to another he just gave that one 30,000 pounds but here is the key in this scripture to each according to his own ability i'll read that again to each according to his own ability Okay. Tell your neighbor, stay in your lane. See, each according to his own ability is what he gave. Now, I'm going to skip to the end because it's quite a lot to read here. But essentially what happened is the businessman, he's the rich man, he's, he's gone away. He's given this money. He's come back now after a long time. And he's come back and he's asked the servants and he's, he wants to settle the accounts with them. And so to the one who received five talents, he brought another five talents. So he returned 100% of the investment that he was given. And now he's brought back to the rich man 300,000 pounds. I need to think about it like it's today's money. That's a lot of money. Think about what you would do right now if you had 300,000 pounds. He said, look, you gave me five talents. I've now got five more of them. Well done. Good stuff. All of that, good, all of those things. To the one he gave two talents, to the one he gave 60 grand, he came back and said, look, I've got 120 grand for you. I doubled my talents. Good stuff. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then to the last one who he gave the 30,000 pounds to, that one was a bit scared. He decided he's not going to put this one in his Monzo, even though his Monzo had a good uh, um, savings or interest rate. He decided, ah, you know what? I need to, this is a lot of money. I need to look after this. So he buried it. The master came back. Then he said to the one who received one talent and came, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there, you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. Those are some harsh words, wicked and lazy. Not just wicked, all wicked and lazy. Wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given and he will have in abundance but from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away those are the exact same words we just read on the other parable about something that 
had something completely different to do with the parable of the talents. Because what did I say about this curriculum? It's given us all of the tools that we need to learn for the exam. And what is the exam? The exam is life. How to live a life in God's will. How to live a life according to God's will. How to do everything in our life the way that God would want us to do. So that right at the end of it all, God can tell us when we reach those pearly gates, well done my good and faithful servant. Praise God. So he said to him, wicked and lazy servant. Okay. And, and I think what's even funny about this whole story to me is that in today's age, him burying that £30,000 with the way the economy is, by the time he came back next year, it'll probably only be worth like twenty-five. So he even lost his servant money when he was given such a great investment opportunity. Okay? And it's not just about money. A lot of the time people look at the t- parable of the talents and they talk about gifts. And they talk about how much if you hide your gift or you don't exercise your gift. And a lot of the time in life we are scared. Even as a culture, as black people, sometimes we are scared to do things. And to do things that will elevate us. God has given us, you know, and we pay tithes because the money that we earn doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. But he's given it to us and he only just asks for 10% back because he's really being nice so that we can live. And he gives us all of these things and we don't often invest them. We don't often be bold. We don't, we're not often ambitious with what we can do to return back to him more but with interest. Now God knows why he asks us to do, Jesus knows why he asked us to do these things. And it's the same with our gifts. If we don't cultivate our gifts, if we don't invest in our gifts, they just get lost. And there's a, there's a saying that the, the most talent you'll find or the most innovative thinkers and ideas you'll find are in the graveyard. Because people that didn't invest or cultivate their gifts, that's what happens. And his talent that he was given, imagine the 30 grand he kept, he was given. God took it away from him and gave it to someone else. Or the the rich man even took it away and gave it to someone else. But grace, this is where grace comes in. okay? And this is why God is so merciful and God is so gracious. Romans chapter 11 verse 29. If we could turn to it quickly, I'll just read it from the board rather than turning in my bible for the gifts and the calling of god are irrevocable once god gives you a gift he will not forcefully take it away when god calls you to do something he does not remove that calling from you even if you aren't actively doing it cool he might use someone else to do those things but that calling is still your calling that gift is still your gift and it's not too late to repent and to ask god for forgiveness and to push towards the mark of the higher calling to push towards what it is that you were supposed to do to push towards that your purpose of what you were supposed to do that was going to bring glory to his name it's not too late pastor eric spoke about the feeding of the five thousand and the feeding of the four thousand the the interesting thing about all both of those stories is there was a seed of doubt in the disciples so much doubt that at first, if they were there, I don't even think they would have been prepared to give Jesus the five loaves and the two fish to start with. They were just like, no, but look at it. It, it wouldn't even make sense. How are you, what are you going to do with this? How does that even work? Well, 
if you don't give anything to start with, you can't know exactly. Let's say God has the power to do a thousand times, but you give him zero. A thousand times zero is still zero. What do you have to give? Tell your neighbor, what do you have to give? Okay, and I'm, I'm not here trying to collect offering. I'm not talking about money specifically, but gifts, uh, your revelations in your private prayer time about someone that you've asked God, is this how I should share this with this person? Maybe sharing that scripture, maybe that person in your workplace that is kind of interested in what Christianity is, but you're a bit too afraid. You've buried your talent instead of you to actually be bold and invest that and speak to that person and sow that seed so that when God comes in, that seed can then grow because you have cultivated within your conversations with that person a ground for the seed to grow so in that in that example even i was we were talking about finances but even in your evangelism what do you have to give in church what do you have to give it's not every day you come to church and you say oh i didn't get anything from the word today you know i'll be i'll be so honest what i like and and a lot of people i hear especially a lot of young people you know go to church and 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 they say that but why that's such a selfish mentality because why are you going to church and centering yourself when it's god that should be the center of what goes on on that sunday service we come here to worship the one true god we don't come here because we think i've had a bad week and i know that at church today god is going to really touch me no that's a bonus of what happens when you worship god and it's very important that we don't get that the wrong way around. And I think what doesn't help is our society today is, is very much, you know, obviously feelings are great. But a lot of the time, very much people, I call it main character syndrome. Some of you may have heard, this is a bit of a, um, a sidetrack, but some of you may know about Jamie Foxx. He, he said um, on his social media something about they killed Jesus, but he was talking about he had some fake friends in his circle that were like Judas. And I did not know this. I promise you, I did not know this. And I, I went to, I grew up in areas with, um, with a lot of different people from different ethnic backgrounds. So I've heard all types of phrases, but I didn't know apparently that was an anti-Semitic phrase. Apparently. And I did some research and I realized, actually, oh, it, apparently it, it really is. And Jamie Foxx got in trouble and people were saying they don't condone this and they don't condone. But why were they so offended? Because they centered themselves in his experience, even though what he said was something of his experience and had nothing to do with being anti-Semitic at all in any shape or form. And that's a problem that we have as, as, as human beings sometimes. We have main character syndrome a lot of the time where we think that everything that's going on, we are the main character in this show and everyone else are the, the side characters. Maybe you have some of those that are the, have regular appearances like your family. Oh yeah, cool. They're, they're in every episode of the season. But we are not the main characters of our lives. God is. And it's about time that we 
remind ourselves to make God the center of absolutely everything that we do. And I'm even preaching to myself here. We need to make God the center of absolutely everything that we do. And how do we learn how to do that? We have so many teachable moments in these parables. Okay. Everything that's in red was Jesus speaking in the Bible. We can read those things because, like I said, all of these lessons are somehow linked. They are somehow linked. Okay. And Jesus taught us all of these things because the exam is life and we need to pass with flying colors. Okay. We don't want to graduate from life with just, um, uh, just, just a tutu or anything like that. Okay. We want to graduate from life with the highest honors that we can especially because the blueprint has been given to us we know how to revise we know what to do to get to the top so i leave you with this i want you to close your eyes and we're gonna pray but not the typical way that we pray we'll do that kind of you know pastor daily style prayer at the end but for now what I want you to do is I want you to ask yourself, what do I have to give? God is so merciful. God is so gracious. You still have the chance to boost, to change your mindset in terms of your finances, in terms of your career opportunities, in terms of uh, how you spread the gospel, evangelism, in terms of your relationship with your family, your relationship with your friends. What do I have to give? What is it that I can do to make someone else's day better? What is it that I can do to make it that someone understands the word better, that someone understands that they need to center God in their life better? What do I have to give? And not what can I gain from a situation? Father Lord, I just want to pray and thank you for your word today. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you because I ask that you continue to allow us all to have a selfless spirit, a, a, a spirit where we give, okay? Because your word says, if we give, it shall come back to you in good measures. Lord, allow us to give and to have a heart of giving and to give not just to receive, but to give because it is the right thing to do. Father, Lord, continue to work on us. You are the center of our lives. You are the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end. And it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Let's, let's, let's lift our hands, Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. And from beginning to the end And it will always be It's always been you, Jesus Jesus
Lift your voice and sing Jesus. Jesus. Oh, sing Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus is the center of your life. Just sing Jesus. Just sing Jesus. He is a teacher. He is our creator. He is the everything to us. He is Jesus. And He is the Lord of all. He is the Lord of hosts. We give all the glory to Him. Oh, sing Jesus. Oh, sing Jesus. Oh, sing Jesus. And Jesus. You're my everything, Jesus. Master of the universe, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. And nothing else matters. And nothing in this world will do. Oh, and Jesus, you're the center, yeah. and everything revolves around you. Oh, Jesus, you, everything revolves around Jesus. All that we do should revolve around Jesus. Ask God for forgiveness right now for ever thinking that you are the most important thing in your life. No, Jesus is the most important thing. And because he loves us so much, when we prioritize him, it will feel like he's prioritizing us. Because he is Lord of all. He is Jesus. He is the center of it all. He is the center of it all. Thank you, Jesus. Father, Lord, we bless you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. And to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, Lord, have your way. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.